I'm Kirby Falk, and this is the Kirby Method Podcast. This is the podcast for former athletes looking for something they love as much as their sport, whether it be a career, hobby, side gig, or new exercise routine. This is the Kirby Method Podcast, and I'm your host, Kirby. Hi, team. I wanted to do a quick intro to this interview. So today I chatted with Sarah, who's a nutrition and eating psychology coach. We cover a lot of interesting topics around finding an eating routine that works for you, as well as talk about body image challenges that I think a lot of us face. I share a bit about my personal experience with both of those things too. And note that we recorded the interview at a fabulous apartment on a very busy street in San Francisco. So you'll notice some background noise through the podcast. I think it, you know, just adds to the realness factor. Okay. I hope you enjoy. Hi team. So glad you could join us today. I'm really excited because today we have the opportunity to speak with Sarah, who's a nutrition and eating psychology coach. Sarah, thanks so much for joining today. Thanks for having me. I'm so excited. Yay, me too. (laughs) Uh, Let's jump in. So can you walk us through your background? Yeah, so like uh, like you said, I'm a nutrition and eating psychology coach. Um, I kind of entered into this whole realm of work, uh, like many others in this space, through my own discoveries around my own health and kind of using food as medicine to solve a lot of my own physical and mental health problems. Um, And then through my path of studying nutrition, I kind of started realizing that oftentimes we have to look a lot deeper than just the food itself when we're um, trying to solve both physical and and mental health issues. Um, And so kind of got down the path of eating psychology and understanding how to go beyond the food, but also using the food um, as well. So I help clients these days mostly with weight loss, but in a really healthy way um, and kind of getting people out of the dieting mindset and exploring how our thoughts and emotions and stressors and everything impacts the way that we eat so that we can find a healthier relationship with food and with our bodies. Well, I have to say I'm so excited to talk today because I know when I originally was introduced to the concept of eating is not necessarily really really even related to actually eating Mm -hmm. like it's there's so many other things going on and we're buffering with food or whatever it may be uh so i'm excited to talk more about that absolutely the Uh, buffering (laughs) yeah so i want to jump into our main focus for today so i like to start off with the question is you know what's the biggest challenge that you've seen athletes face in transitioning uh, to life post-sport sure um i think As many of your listeners probably know, there are many challenges that come up in life post-sport. I think what I've seen with the clients that I've worked with who were former athletes um, 
kind of understanding on a physical level how to um, how to change eating habits and understand you know quantities and, and types of foods that might be different now than they were um, in life during sports. That was a big one for me. Yeah. <laughs> what? I can't um, just eat anything and everything? Absolutely. <laughs> I think that definitely, I think a huge challenge is that um, a, lot of, a lot of athletes could just kind of eat anything and everything. And then once the sport is finished, um, it, it's a big learning curve to start understanding, all right, well, how do I figure out what types of foods and what amount of food is going to be right for my my body now in this different activity level so I think there's that side and then I think there's kind of the whole um, maybe more mental emotional side of things that really I find relates to body image and um, you know noticing your body changing a lot and um, kind of learning how to accept that um, while also still figuring out how to um, be eating the right things um, so so I would say yeah understanding the types of foods and amounts of foods to be eating but also understanding that your body is going to change when you're not playing professional sports anymore mm -hmm. and that that's okay uh, those are both huge challenges for me personally and a lot of athletes mm -hmm. that I've spoken with I'd love to dive into the body image one to start and we can circle back to talk yeah. a little more about eating and nutrition. Sure. But I know for me, and we've talked about this before, but I mean, I was going through a period when I was transitioning out of soccer where I was constantly comparing myself to my 21, 22 year old body when I was in peak physical yes. <laughs> condition, <laughs> right? Uh, and that was really hard because I felt, I felt you know, you're you're basically set up to fail mm -hmm. because I'm not I'm no longer practicing three or four hours a day. Absolutely. <laughs> and I have a <clears throat> real job where I'm sitting and I'm not quite as active and trying mm. to find my whole exercise balance in there too. Yes. Uh, but I'd love to hear. I mean, how do you? kind of work through that with a client or, sure. or how do you approach that? Yeah. So I think the two things that you just said that really stick out to me are um, the comparison factor and then also, you know, comparing yourself to when you were at your peak performance and your, you know, your body was in its peak shape. And I think that um, most people, particularly women, fall into the comparison trap anyway with comparing themselves to other people, especially with social media now. Um, you know, there's just so many different people and different body types to be comparing ourselves to. So I think that, you know, I see body image challenges with most of my female clients who weren't even athletes. And then when you have your own body to be comparing to, um, your own past body and knowing, oh, I've been in this shape before. I've been able to to get there before, so I should be able to. I should be in this body. I know that it's possible. Um, I think that that's where a lot of the shoulds start. Um, the comparison factor, I think, is kind of the, the birthplace of the shoulds, and I find that shoulds are one of the biggest obstacles um, when it comes to um, just about anything, actually, in the work that I do. <laughs> and so um, in terms of how to kind of approach uh, working with people who are, are dealing with this comparison game and, um, and negative body image, 
I think first understanding what are all of the shoulds that might be even living in our subconscious mind. You know, I should look a certain way. I should be eating the way that I used to eat, or I should be able to eat the way that I used to eat and look the way that I used to look. I should be exercising this amount. Um, there are so many kind of infinite amount of shoulds. And I think that we, when we can actually bring those shoulds into the conscious mind and even write them down and start kind of questioning each one individually going down the list and asking, well, why? And so what, you know, why should you or should, should you not be any certain way? That's kind of the, the place that I like to start. It sounds like starting with awareness mm -hmm. uh, and really taking a moment to pause and dive into the shoulds. Yes. So like, for example, let's say, you know, if you were to ask me that question where, where, you know, why should I look a certain way? Mm -hmm. Why don't you look, look a certain way? Yeah. I think I would say, well, I feel better. I feel more, I feel more confident. Right. Yes. Or I feel, uh, uh, prettier and mm -hmm. more likable. Mm -hmm. So how would you break it down from there? Absolutely. So, I mean, that is a, a very common one. I would say with, um, with my post-sport clients uh, and also just most of my clients in general, it's sort of, you know, why should you look a certain way? Oh, well, I'll feel more confident. I'll feel happier. I'll feel healthier. And then my next question to that is, well, why? Um, you know, what about looking that way makes you feel more confident and healthier? And usually when we kind of keep breaking it down and keep asking those whys, we get to a place where we discover that we can actually find those feelings, find that confidence, find those feelings of health um, in other ways by not actually getting back to the six pack and to the ability to be able to do the things that you used to do. Um, and when we can kind of broaden that scope and get out of that tunnel vision mindset and realize, oh, I have the ability to feel confident and healthy and happy by maybe relaxing a bit more and accepting my body and appreciating it for what it can do and what it used to be able to do. Um, and and then just looking at, at the, the world at large to see where we can find some of those feelings. By finding confidence in other ways, you're not tied to the external factor of, I have to look a certain way in order to feel a certain way. Mm -hmm. uh, and so do you find what, like what is, what is, if I'm trying to feel more confident or I think uh, looking a certain way will make me feel more confident, mm -hmm. what are other ways in your experience that you help clients uh, gain that confidence. Absolutely. So um, something that I really like to do is to ask my clients, well, if you were in this ideal body type or if you were back in the body that you used to be in before, um, what are some of the things that you would be doing that that you aren't doing now because you're not feeling confident enough you know like if you had this feeling of confidence you know would you be going out on more dates you know would you be wearing this really cute bikini that you love to the pool party that you're maybe you've put it in your back door because you don't feel worthy of of being in that bikini because you don't have the bikini bod anymore um or would you be maybe relaxing around food and and allowing yourself to receive pleasure from food again and so I think a lot of clients who aren't happy in their bodies then 
start feeling really nervous and scared around food, which kind of starts a whole vicious cycle that we may or may not talk about in this episode. Um, but so really understanding from people, okay, so what are the things that you would be doing if you had this feeling of confidence? And let's just start doing them now. Like get out there and start doing them now because often um, when we actually start doing the things that we think we would do if we got to a certain point and start doing them now, then the confidence actually comes from that. And are there certain things when you think about, because you work with clients who are uh, former athletes as well as non-former athletes, are there certain things that stick out to you uh, as a common theme across athletes or former athletes compared to, I guess, non-former athletes? Definitely. Um, like that was kind of, you know, back to that, that other thing that you said about being at your peak performance. So I think that for, um, for former athletes, really kind of understanding that they were at their peak performance and you know inherently in the word peak that implies that you peak and then it's natural to sort of come down from that or evolve in a different way um, and so just kind of really understanding that it's okay to not be in your peak anymore in your prime anymore but that doesn't mean that you know you can't still go out and and do things and and have fun and um and eat the things that you want to and and have the confidence um but it's just sort of about reshifting that that mindset and accepting that maybe you won't be in that peak place anymore so that's different um from other clients and i think that also the fact that you know you've been in that body before. So a lot of us when we're playing the comparison game of, oh, I wish I could look like this person on Instagram, or I wish I could look like my friend who has this great body, um, you have sort of the, um, you're at a deficit by knowing that you actually could be in that body. And so having that thought of, oh, well, since I could be in that body, I should be. I should be still working so hard to get there, I think um, can be sort of an added layer of challenge for post-athletes that most of most of us don't have to deal with. <laughs> yes, I completely agree. Mm-hmm. <laughs> At least from yeah, the, what, you're, what you're saying in terms of your work with athletes really resonates with what I've, what I've had to work through. Yeah, just because you can doesn't mean you should or you have to. Or that it, does, it doesn't even serve you exactly. in the best way possible. Exactly. And, and understanding that, you know, a, a huge reason why you had that that body maybe that you that you had back then that was you know more ripped and you had the six pack and all of this it was so that you could be in your peak performance as an athlete so now you're you know you're in a different career you're you're doing different things and you don't need that same that same body and so just kind of reframing well right I had that body for for a reason back then that I'm not you know I'm not using it in the same way our bodies are vessels and we we change in in terms of what we need to use them for and it sounds like maybe redefining what peak means yes so there could be the your peak uh your peak body in that physical sense from a fitness uh, perspective but then redefining mm-hmm. like what does peak mean to me what is optimal right mean to me absolutely because uh, that changes Absolutely. Morph out of our sports careers. Yes. And understanding that, you know, kind of back to 
this idea of, oh, I'll feel more confident and feel happier if I have this body again, um, that actually you might not be feeling quite as confident and quite as happy because you're living in this world of shoulds and, oh, I need to do this and I need to get back to this. And if we can kind of move into a world of a bit more acceptance and appreciation for the way that our bodies have evolved, um, then you might actually start feeling that happiness and peace and relaxation and confidence that you're looking for without changing a thing about your physical body, but by changing your thoughts around it. Because do you find then, like, let's say I'm a former athlete and let's say I somehow get to that body I used to have as a 22 year old. Uh, is there just the next, like, is there never a rest, resting spot? Like, is there just the yes. next thing? Is that what, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And I would say that that is, that might not actually be a distinction between uh, my former athlete clients and my regular <laughs> clients. <laughs> that really, I mean, I think most of us, um, have this idea, whether it's with our bodies and our diets or with anything in life, I found that like, oh, if only I could just get there and have this, then I'll be happy, then I'll have it all, I'll be more confident. And oftentimes we actually do get there. We get the body, we get the money, we get all of these things, the job, job, whatever it is. And we realize, oh, shoot. (laughs) Now I want the next thing. Now I want more. I need the next thing to be happy. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. So that's why, you know, I think a lot of my clients, um, at at first, when we first start working together, might find my approach incredibly counterintuitive because I essentially ask them to, instead of focusing on, on the goal of, of weight loss or whatever their goal is, to actually focus on pure acceptance of the way that their body is right now. And I find that through that acceptance, that's when we can kind of relax into the process. Um, but but from the way that our society goes about reaching goals, it seems very counterintuitive to go about that by actually accepting what we already have because that implies complacency. Um, but uh, it's actually quite the opposite. Yeah, can you talk a little bit more about that? Because I know some mm-hmm. people say, well, if I accept who I am, I'll never actually change yep. or I'll never actually get healthier. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so it's, it seems very counterintuitive yes. to say, no, I need to accept who I am. Can you talk a little bit more about how you work through that with your clients? Absolutely. Um, I, you know, I kind of think that when we, when we really think about it and dig a little bit deeper, I think that the approach that we typically take, we meaning kind of society at large, the approach that we typically take to reaching goals and finding success, I believe is the more counterintuitive process, which is by like, you know, pushing and grasping and, and willpower, willpower, like, come on, you know, you're so fat and stupid, like just be better. Don't eat the cookies. Oh, um, we think that that's going to, I can't believe you ate the cookies. Why yeah. did you eat the cookies? Oh, exactly. Like, you're for doing that. Right. We you, have this, you should know better. Exactly. And we think that that's going to motivate us. We think that we're going to, you know, just hate ourselves into the change and yes maybe that sometimes works for some people in the short term um but but then we just get to this really icky place where you know especially if if the goal is to feel more confident and happy and healthy i guarantee you're not going to feel confident and happy and healthy by hating yourself into change and so i found that when we can actually take a step back and look at all right well what are the benefits of 
appreciating and accepting ourselves for the way that we are now, um, that's when we can actually start appreciating ourselves, who we are as people, and kind of being our own cheerleader and our own coach. So, you know, I'm a, I'm a coach, but I like to think of myself as more of kind of a, a guide or a partner in crime for my clients and helping them to become their own coach on a day-to-day basis. Um, and when we can actually give ourselves positive reinforcement, like, okay, so we've got this goal, or I like to call them intentions uh, instead of goals. So I've got this intention of losing 20 pounds or you know, getting, getting more fit, getting more in shape. Um, but my body is this great thing. These are all the things that I love about it. Let's work together, body, to get to this intention. So, um, you know, so having the intention kind of on the horizon and, and continuing to anchor to that and look ahead to that, but knowing that it's okay that it takes time and it's okay to start exactly where we are, that just allows us to kind of relax into the process a bit and um, and you know, positive reinforcement, positive motivation, it's its scientifically proven. It works. It works better than hating ourselves or hating other people into it. It certainly sounds better. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and sounds more fun. Exactly. And I think one, my personal experiences going through this journey myself mm. is that awareness is such a big piece to it. And yes. I didn't even realize the amount of negative mm. thoughts uh, and what I was saying to myself until yes. I got started to kind of sit and just listen absolutely right? like you don't even realize how much you're beating yourself up yep and yep. when you actually write it down on paper sure it was shocking yes oh my gosh and I know that you personally have done so much work around you know noticing that inner critic um, sometimes we have multiple different inner critics um, and I and I think you're exactly right that oftentimes we really aren't even aware Um, of all of the nasty things that those inner critics are saying. And so by bringing those statements and those thoughts to the surface and looking at those, and again, kind of like the shoulds, I believe, fall into those inner critic voices. Yes. And when we can just really explore like, okay, well, what are all of these things that, that these critics are telling me? And are these things serving me? What is there any truth to them? When we really ask the whys and the so whats, um, what comes from that? And typically, not much. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds like you know a huge uh, takeaway here is learning uh, and becoming familiar with how to get in touch with your intuition. Yes. And I know that's something for me as an athlete I struggled with. Uh, it was you're so used to taking instruction and then also forcing yourself into a routine that you have to do because you have to perform yes. or because someone's telling you to do something. Yes. And then all of a sudden it's like, whoa. Absolutely. <laughs> How do I even know? Because we, I mean, we internalize so many of those shoulds yeah. and then it can become really murky water Sure. between, you know, differentiating between what's a should versus what's actually serving me. Yes. And I think that that brings up kind of maybe a, a third or another distinction, um, that, that makes it a little bit more challenging for my post ath or post sports clients, Mm -hmm. um, is that you have been for probably most of your life on a team and, and in the context of a team and having a coach and having this rigid structure, um, and people telling you 
what to do and when to show up and how much to practice and what types of workouts to do and even maybe what to eat and what not to eat. Um, and then all of a sudden, you're kind of on your own for that. And so often you maybe haven't had the practice of being that own, your own internal coach that I was referring to and giving yourself that positive reinforcement, which really is a practice. Um, and it takes a lot of time and effort to keep cultivating that inner coach to sort of drown out those inner critics. And I think that that's something that's difficult for everyone, but especially for someone who's been in the context of a team and just kind of always having that structure. And then you're just kind of let loose and <laughs> expected to know what to do and how to motivate yourself. I love the words, you know, inner critics and inner coach mm. and learning how to become your inner coach. Yeah. I was a huge fan of uh, finding, you know, words that relate to both, you know, sports world or athletic world and also life post-sport and yes. that really resonates with me. Yes. And I'm Absolutely. curious, you're talking, you know, you talked a little bit about how, uh, you know, as athletes, we're in a very rigid, like, structure and mm -hmm. outline of how our day is going to go and what the game plan is, both for the game and everything you do revolves around that, around your, like, sleeping routine, your eating routine, sure. your exercise routine. How do athletes create or find the structure or find that path forward for them when they're done with their sports career? Yeah, I think, again, that's a really, a really interesting, distinct challenge that you're facing. And I think that um, post-athletes can also fall into that trap of, you know, maybe trying to swing too far in the direction of creating so much structure and rigidity that was that was necessary at one point you know when you're when you're playing sports in college or professionally i mean you have to have that rigidity and that structure um but then i imagine that that mindset can sometimes carry into day-to-day -day life when you know you're going to work and you're trying to you know be social and, and live maybe a more balanced life um but maybe still stuck in that structured rigid mindset um and i think at least i've experienced this with with some of my um former athlete clients that they don't even realize that they're doing that. They don't even realize that they're creating so much rigidity and structure around these things. And so again, like you said, it's just all about that awareness to kind of understand, okay, so where am I creating structure and rigidity maybe around my workouts and eating habits and sleep schedule and how to balance all of these things? Um, first understanding, okay, what is the structure of that? And then really examining each factor and saying, okay, well, what aspect of this is serving me? You know, because sometimes it is good to have structure, right? It is good to have intentions around food and, you know, getting eight hours of sleep a night and so on and so forth. Um, but then there, there can be times where the pendulum swings too far in the direction of having too much rigidity in those aspects and then not feeling like you're living a whole healthy, balanced life. With, with friends and, and social things and everything else that makes us healthy and happy. Um, so just really looking at each factor and understanding, okay, so this is a balanced way of looking at it and maybe this is a rigid way of looking at it that's carried over from when that was serving me that's maybe no longer serving me now that I'm not playing sports. That was certainly my experience. I remember I'll share uh, when I was playing professional soccer, I remember uh, in Philadelphia, so it was the last two years of my career, and I remember journaling everything that I ate. Mm. And if I had 
you know, one brownie, if I had one bite of artificial sugar, if I somehow went off the quote-unquote plan in any way, shape, or form, that day was labeled as a bad eating mm. day. Oh. And, it, like, and that was the start, you know, and I... Uh, been working through like different you know like overeating like challenges and trying to understand like buffering with food and having a healthy relationship with with sugar and having a healthy relationship with food is something I've very much been working through the past couple years but it was really hard for me to go from having like you know, it was almost too, it was almost too rigid, right? right. When I was playing yep. to all of a sudden I wasn't playing and I felt like I was no longer in control of my weights. Yeah. I was no longer in control of how I, how I felt Sure. Uh, to like try to grasp onto that even more, Absolutely. <laughs> which is the exact opposite thing that you, that you want to do. Exactly. And I think that, you know, um, anytime we have really rigid food rules, um, or, you know, specifically certain foods that should never be eaten that are off limits, for example, almost always just because of our psychology, those foods then become even more enticing. There's a lot of research behind that. Oh, yeah. You know, you can't have something. Oh, great. Now I want it more. Now I can't stop thinking about it. Um, and this is true for anyone. Um, this is true for so many of my clients who um, weren't even athletes, um, but who have created a whole list of food rules based on past diets. And um, and those foods almost always become kind of those binge foods or, or foods that we tend to overeat once we get our hands on them. And so when you've been um, when you've been an athlete and, and have had to have maybe certain food rules that, again, at the time, because of needing to be in your peak performance, maybe those rules did serve you. Um, but then that's a that's a great example of an area to look at post-sports. Okay, so are these food rules still serving me? Um, maybe how can we sort of loosen the grip on them? And um, and again, I like to, to use the word intention instead of um, rules. So, you know, okay, so my intention is to maybe not eat a lot of these types of things rather than I can never eat cookies or brownies or refined sugar ever again. I would go through those cycles where it'd be like, I can never have sugar again. Mm-hmm. And then you last then you for like three or four days and then you binge <laughs> right. on sugar because exactly. you've been feeling like very deprived and restricted and now your body's like, oh, I want that. Your brain's like, I want that now. Yes. Do you think there are things that current athletes could do around their maybe more regimented eating to help with that transition? Or is there, if you think about like a recommended way of thinking about food and intentions around food that would be helpful to help soften that? Sure. So again, my approach might be a little bit, uh, seem far-fetched and or counterintuitive to some, um, but I am I am a huge fan for all of my clients, or for, for anyone and everyone, um, of this thing that I like to call the no diet diet. And I think that this can actually be particularly helpful for um, former athletes. And um, the no diet diet essentially is just where we say, okay, so for a little while, um, and this is something that my clients and I will kind of agree upon together, a specific amount of time. Um, it could be two weeks, it could be two months, um, but just you know, kind of taking an experimental amount of time where you say, all right, 
I am going to go on the no diet diet. And that means just allowing myself to eat what I want when I want and just see what happens. And I'm sure a lot of your listeners right now are, are just kind of like cringing I'm, as they're I, thinking I've about never this. thought of that or putting myself back into where I was a couple yeah. of years ago. That's terrifying. Terrifying, right? Totally terrifying. Because you probably are having these thoughts, oh my God, well, if I had no food rules, if I could eat anything and everything, I will. I will eat exactly. anything and everything in sight. Right? And gain 20 pounds. And gain 20 pounds and my life will be over. Like what, you know, why is she telling me to do this? I came to her to lose weight and now she's telling me to eat everything and anything. The thing is though, is that yes, sometimes when we first enter into this no diet diet experiment, Sometimes what will happen is because, especially if you've been restricting for a really long time and being in a rigid food mindset for a long time, you will kind of go into that binge mode for a little while and say, woohoo, it's like kid in the candy store, right? But after a while, the kid in the candy store is kind of like, all right, that was great. I'm sort of burnt out. Now I might have this piece of chocolate when I feel like it. All right, I might go back for this, might not. Um, So sometimes entering into the no diet diet, we do kind of go through a period of like, woohoo, all systems go. But (laughs) almost always what I have found is that when we finally can allow ourselves to just actually have no food rules at all and just start, and a big part of the no diet diet is also cultivating and practicing that awareness that we keep talking about, which is a huge part of it. So, you know, eat anything and everything that you want, but start understanding how's my body feeling after I eat this? Um, When do I typically go for these sweet things? Um, When I overeat, what's, you know, what seems to be going on? Why am I craving this thing? Just using that as a time of really deep discovery around what your body is actually wanting and needing and using that time to access your body's wisdom and intuition and kind of getting out of everything in your head. we actually can find a kind of an equilibrium where we start to understand, oh, all right, just because I can have cake and cookies and ice cream all of the time, my body genuinely doesn't want it all of the time. It doesn't make me feel good. It doesn't make me feel good. It wants it sometimes, (laughs) but not all the time. So once we can get to that place where we're truly listening to our body's needs instead of our mind's needs, you know, I should be doing this, this diet has told me this, my friend is eating this way, that's when we can access our body's wisdom that is in there. We all have it. Um, Even for those of you who think, well, my body just doesn't know. I'm going to eat everything and anything in sight. Um, Our bodies do have that wisdom, but we just really need to practice tuning in. So... I would say that in order to kind of come to that place where you can understand what foods and in what amounts and in you know in at what times are right for your body we kind of have to go through a period where you just sort of throw everything out the window and kind of, you know, start from a a blank slate, so to speak, which is, which is really scary. It's a scary process. Um, but that's why I think it's great to have an experimental time frame. Worst case scenario, it backfires, it fails. And then, you know, you go back to, to what you already know. (laughs) Exactly. And it sounds like, you know, if you approach it from a 
this is a fun experiment. Like mm -hmm. we're gonna try it out and see what mm -hmm. happens and get really curious yes. about the learnings and getting in touch with your you know, intuition and get in mm -hmm. touch with what really serves you can be a great way to frame it uh, away, from, away from the, this is really big, bad and, and scary. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And I will say, you know, for, for those of you who are absolutely terrified by the idea of the no diet diet, um, almost all of my clients who I've introduced this concept to have been terrified. I think some of them have almost walked out of my office door and thought I was total kook. <laughs> They're like, I just want a meal plan. Um, <laughs> but almost every single one of them, after only a few days of um, experimenting with this way of eating, which is really more of a mindset, right? Um, they've come back and have just said, I feel so much more relaxed and so much more in touch with my body and I have fewer cravings. I have less of a desire to binge eat and overeat. I'm eating, you know, foods that are healthy and that's what my body wants. And it's just amazing what can happen when we just allow ourselves to take some of the pressure off. And instead of looking externally for the answers yes. and imposing all these external rules and limitations, mm -hmm. you're actually using your internal compass yes so all the answers are within all the answers so you are within to be curious and help cultivate that exactly curiosity is you know another another one of my mantras is kind of anytime judgment comes up um, judgment around oh i can't believe i just ate this or oh look at my body why am i feeling this way turning that into curiosity so turning all of the judgment into curiosity. So perhaps asking the same questions, but in, you know, huh, I really, I really wonder why I was craving that. I really, I wonder why I overate. Was I stressed? What was going on? And instead of maybe journaling about every single calorie and every single bite of sweets that you ate and judging yourself for it, journaling those questions. I wonder, you know, are there any patterns in terms of when I crave things or when I overeat um, or when I'm hyper judgmental of my body and getting curious about what those patterns are. Um, yeah, so turning judgment into curiosity I think is really important. I found reflection and that curiosity piece to be a huge part of my shift in oh, my yeah. relationship with food and how I think about myself yeah. and really trying to get curious and not judge about, oh, like, well, why did I have too many glasses of wine mm -hmm. last night? Or like, mm -hmm. why did, like, why was, why do I think I was craving that piece of chocolate? Like, yep. what's actually going on? Am I just tired? Am I stressed? Am I just feeling bad about something else that's going on and trying to soothe myself with the chocolate or the sugar. Yes. I think reflection is such a powerful, like that reflection and awareness and that curiosity, awareness. being the student is a really powerful tool. Absolutely. And I think kind of back to this idea of being your own um, coach and accessing your internal coach rather than your internal critic um, is, a, is a huge piece of this. So, you know, really thinking about, okay, well, if my inner coach were talking to me rather than my inner critic, what would my inner coach say? Probably some of those things like, what was going on? You know, like, okay, we're still working towards these goals. 
that's great, you know, we're not gonna get complacent, um, but what's going on? What are you struggling with? Rather than, come on, we've got this goal to reach, you're such an idiot, you're so lazy. <laughs> you gotta force your way into it. Yeah. I love that question, like what would my inner coach tell me right yeah, now? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, coach as a supporter, as, as helping me yeah, improve and, and exactly. get to where I want to go. Exactly. And so to loop it back to, because we talked about in the beginning, two main challenges. Yes. So one, a little bit more about body image, and the second one about what do I actually eat? Yeah. Now that I'm no longer exercising, you know, sure. multiple hours a day. Mm-hmm. It sounds like the no diet diet is a big piece of that. Is there anything else that you would talk about or recommend? So I think that, again, starting with kind of the the no diet diet or the kind of like wiping the the canvas clean, so to speak, and really tuning into, okay, so what does my body actually need? That really is the best starting place because it's almost guaranteed that what your body needs now is not what it needed when when you were playing sports, right? Um, However, in the same sense, or or kind of in a a different sense, on the other side of the coin, um, maybe I think some of my my clients who were athletes before kind of thought, oh, well, I used to be able to maybe eat eat more or eat sweets or kind of get get more pleasure from these pleasurable junky foods because it didn't matter because I was burning, you know, thousands of calories a day. So now that I'm not burning that amount of calories a day and I'm not exercising X amount of hours, I don't deserve to have sweet foods or junky foods or I don't deserve to get as much pleasure from food. Um, And I think that that is another really important thing to examine and to kind of break apart um, that we all deserve to get pleasure from food. And I, you know, I think everyone should eat sweets and junky foods sometimes uh, just to kind of balance things out. Um, And so I would say, again, it's kind of just around um, examining all of the food rules that you have and really looking at, okay, so which of these do serve me and which of these don't serve me and why and kind of using that no diet diet mentality or that no diet diet experiment as a way to sort of gauge all right well what are my hunger levels now um you know h- how much of a of a sweet thing or a junky thing is enough or or too much um i i like to envision i always have this image in my mind of a pendulum swinging from one side to the other. And I think that a lot of this work um, is just around kind of looking at how we can get it to fall as close to the middle as possible. But that process takes it swinging in both directions. It takes going from having way too many food rolls to maybe kind of going a little bit crazy, um, going back and forth so that we can get to the middle. So, um, you know, I think that a lot of people are kind of hoping for, all right, what foods should I eat now? They want a list. They want a list. They want a calorie (laughs) plan. They want, I should be eating X amount of protein now versus what I was before. And, um, not going to get that for me <laughs> because everyone is so different and you are so different now versus the way that you were a few years ago or whenever you were playing sports. And so it's just important to kind of be open to that process of wiping the slate clean, um, you know, taking what you do know, but making sure that, that it's serving you in the right way. 
There's no magic pill. There's none. And a lot of times it's natural and normal that we all are looking for that one magic pill or that one magic solution that works for everyone. Just tell me what to do. Tell me what to do. If I've learned anything so far in my life, it's that life is not lived in the black and white. There is not one right way. Mm -hmm. Uh, There are many different ways and it's going to be different for each person it's different for each person and you know as a as a former athlete it's it's different you know you're maybe the same person but you're going to be thinking differently doing differently eating differently exercising differently now versus when you were playing sports and i think that a huge part of this process um when it comes to eating but i imagine when it comes to other challenges that um that former athletes face is just being open to that idea that it's okay to be different than you were before. It is okay. You yeah. evolve and change. Yeah. And that's a beautiful thing. Exactly. It is. Great. Uh, so I want to wrap up here and I have a couple rapid fire questions. Oh my God. That I'd love to ask you. <laughs> okay. And then we'll, um, and then we'll uh, wrap up for today. Sounds good. Okay. The first one is, who is an inspirational role model for you? Mm. It could be someone famous or not. Yes. Oh, my gosh. I Two pop into my mind. Um, but the first one is Janine Roth. Is um, uh, You guys should all look up Janine Roth. Um, one of my favorite books by her is called Women, Food, and God. And Janine Roth is just a wonderful writer, speaker, coach, extraordinaire in this realm of eating psychology and emotional eating and just kind of going beyond the food. Um, so Janine Roth and the other one is Pema Chodron. She's just a wonderful, another writer, speaker, um, just amazing human. I just read her book, When Things Fall Apart. Oh, yes. Absolutely. Gosh, if I could have dinner with Janine Roth and Pema Chodron, holy cow. I'd love to hear what they would say to each other. (laughs) (laughs) That'd be an interesting Right? (laughs) Okay. How do you find success in your life today? Oh, my gosh. This is a great question. Um, I think that I am – it's so funny because I think as coaches, it's, you know – Sometimes I get into the shoulds myself and I think, oh, well, because I'm coaching people on, you know, how to do all these things and how to be happy and healthy and balanced and, you know, I should have this all figured out. And I think for me, it's been really interesting over the past couple of years to just sort of reframe what success looks like for me. Um, I think that I fall into the trap sometimes of thinking, oh, success means X amount of money or X amount of clients or X amount of client success stories. Um, And I think that I'm starting to reframe success for myself as just my ability to feel relaxed and peaceful and and content being able to essentially find that acceptance and appreciation for my life the way that it is right now my body for the way that it is right now my mental health for the way that it is right now while also still you know seeking growth and seeking um you know, to evolve. So kind of, I think success for me is that balance between acceptance for what I have now while still setting intentions and striving for more. How do you find inspiration? 
How do I find inspiration? Um, from you. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> from Allison. From my friends. Uh, my friends are such a wonderful piece of my life. Um, from nature. Nature is, I think, a huge source of inspiration for me. Um, I just love being outside, whether it's in the ocean or hiking through the redwoods. Um, nature is my spiritual place for sure. Um, yoga is also another really wonderful source of inspiration for me. Um, and really, actually, from my clients, I would say these days, my clients are my biggest source of inspiration. They are so strong and beautiful and their stories and the, the growth that they um, have achieved and the challenges that they have overcome are so inspiring to me. I learn just as much from my clients as I hopefully they do from me. And last one, I know we've talked a lot about different things that athletes can do in transitioning uh, to their life post-sport. Mm. But any, you know, if you had to boil it down or any last advice to athletes who are transitioning out of their athletic careers? Yeah. I think um, cultivating that awareness of, you know, what statements are coming from your inner coach versus your inner critic and um, understanding or just trying to explore the whys behind the shoulds. So I guess if I had to boil it down, you know, I think that um, whether it's for former athletes or for any of us in general who have struggles and obstacles, a lot of it comes down to these shoulds. And so really identifying the shoulds, understanding which parts of the shoulds um, are our truth and which are, might be stories in our minds, um, which parts are serving us, which parts aren't. Um, so just breaking down those shoulds and questioning them so that you can get to the core of what's really important. Well, thank you, Sarah. Thank you. Uh, for all our listeners out there, if you want to check out Sarah and her work, learn more about how she works and helps former athletes as well as non-former athletes, you can head to her website, which is BeBalancedWellness.com, and B is spelled B-E-E. -E. So yeah, exactly. <laughs> like the bumblebee. Like the bumblebee. So BeBalancedWellness.com. I'll have it in the podcast notes as well, so you can Yay. check it out. Okay, everyone, I hope you have a great rest of the week. Thank you. Thank you.